Okay, good. I do appreciate everybody's presence this morning. Uh, Brother Paul and his comments uh, of, with the Lord's Supper uh, talked about all the different things that are going on in the world around us. And there are a lot of them, I have to admit. Uh, and they uh, kind of uh, crowd our thinking and crowd our minds. And uh, the potential would be maybe to, even when we're here, to have our minds drift off to those things. I heard a preacher, usually we say when we come together, I uh, hope we're, we're able to put all these worldly concerns out of our minds. He said, I hope you brought your worldly concerns with you. And in a way, I, I think that's right. We, we want to bring our concerns with us. And then pray about them and talk about them with each other and find strength and encouragement to face those things. And so in a, in a way, I understand both of those statements. We don't want them to become a distraction to us as we worship together, but we do want to bring our worldly concerns to the Lord and ask for His help to, to bear up with them. And so we've got COVID among the congregation here. Of course, we've had a, a shooting in our area. Uh, we've got other concerns. Uh, everybody has their own personal concerns. Some of those are really very weighty and uh, quite a responsibility on us. And so all of those things bear on our minds, and we hope that we're able to find some help and some relief and some encouragement as we come together in this situation today. Now, we do have good news, as we've suggested. We've had four people baptized, I think, in the last week or so. Uh, <clears throat> Brother Blake Clark, Mia was baptized, and Sarah and Rachel baptized last night about 9 o'clock or so. And uh, that's just wonderful news, and we want that to continue. We want people to continue to think about their relationship with the Lord. And if they're uh, ready to become Christians at, at that age and understand their responsibility, we hope that they'll seriously consider doing just that. We're going to look at the book of Psalms today. Let's go to the book of Psalms, and we're going to take our lesson from that place this morning. This is, uh, this is a picture of David, or at least someone's concept of what David might have looked like. So we're going to look at a psalm that's written by David today. If you go to Psalm 120, you'll find a section of the psalms that are described as songs of ascent. So the idea of ascent is to ascend, you know, to, to go up. And so these songs are described as songs of ascent. And there are lots of uh, reasons suggested as to why they might be described in that way. Some have suggested that as, as these psalms or songs were sung, that the singers would, would reach a crescendo as uh, they sang the song. Some suggest that maybe the singers would stand on the steps leading up to, ascending to, to the temple. And maybe that was the idea. One, one popular idea is that these are songs that people traveling to Jerusalem, as they, as they went up to Jerusalem, ascended the hills of Jerusalem, they would sing these songs. And so as they went, for example, to Passover in Jerusalem or Pentecost or the Feast of Booths, as they made their journey up to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs. Some people even have suggested an order in which these songs were, were sung uh, by those people. And that, require, uh, I think, depends upon a lot of imagination and speculation, but uh, some have suggested a, a particular order. They're usually short psalms, 
So you can see Psalm 120 is only seven verses. The 121st Psalm is eight verses. And that's typical of these psalms. They're, they're usually short. I think the longest one is 18 verses, the 132nd Psalm. But they contain some rather memorable lines. The 121st Psalm, verse 1, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains, from which from whence shall my help come? And then the 133rd Psalm, uh, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And then the 127th Psalm begins, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And so these are memorable statements all taken from these songs of ascent. The particular psalm that we're going to look at this morning, the 122nd Psalm, is a psalm of David. So you can see that in the introductory material before verse 1, a song of ascents of David. Now David didn't write all these psalms of ascent. He wrote about half of the psalms, but he didn't write all of these songs of ascent. But he did write this one, and so that gives us some, some insight into you know, the, the, the character, the frame of mind uh, uh, of the author. David conquered the city of Jebus from the Jebusites, and he made it his capital and renamed it Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem was an ancient city, is populated even before David conquered it, and, and it became his capital. He spent a lot of time there, of course, in the city of Jerusalem. The word Jerusalem may mean something like foundation of peace, and something like that. And so you can see the second half of the word, the shalom part, Jerusalem, is similar to the word shalom, the, the word for peace. And so perhaps a foundation of peace or something like that. And so you can understand why it would be named that. This is the capital of the Lord's kingdom, the capital of, of the nation of Israel from which it, it emits the uh, peace of God. So David spent a lot of time there, but he spent a lot of time outside the city of Jerusalem as well. And so he may go outside of the city of Jerusalem for battle, for example, or sometimes he's on the run, he's fleeing from Absalom or another enemy of his. And so when he would be outside the city of Jerusalem, he would long to go back. And no doubt he would think about going back to the city of Jerusalem, his capital, his home, but he would long to go back for other reasons as well. And when I read the 122nd Psalm, I think about those three festivals every year, those three feasts every year, that Jewish men were required to, to go to Jerusalem to observe. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Booths as well. And so thinking about going back to Jerusalem or going to Jerusalem to celebrate one of these three feasts, uh, of the Lord. David expresses his joy, his anticipation with going to Jerusalem to worship. And so we want to read through this psalm and you can see that expression of joy and anticipation that David has, the, the prospect of going to Jerusalem to worship God. And so let's just read through it. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem that is built as a, a city that is compact together to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord, an ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. 
For there thrones were set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, my peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So two stanzas there. We're going to focus mainly on the first one. We're not going to totally neglect the second one. But there are two stanzas to the psalm. We're going to draw out some statements of the psalm and make some applications along the way. First of all, we'll notice that just this, the, the excitement of David standing within the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And then that transition between verse 1 and 2 suggests that they, they've made the journey to Jerusalem, to the house of the Lord. They've entered into the gates. He's looking around. Our feet are standing in the, within the walls, within the gates of Jerusalem. Can you believe it? Look around. Look at what you see. How exciting it is. So imagine what he must have felt as he stood within the gates of the city. Imagine the, the, the people, the sights, the sounds, the activity, the buildings, and especially the temple. This is almost like a child, isn't it? As, as a child, uh, we might uh, take a vacation somewhere and uh, we anticipate arriving at our destination. We think about it beforehand. We imagine what it must be like. And then we get there, we look around and say, man, I, I can't believe, look, I can't believe that I'm here. I can remember, I, I spent a summer in the Washington, D.C. area in my youth. And um, I can remember the first time, and I'm not sure what route we took into the city, but, but if, if, my, if my memory is correct, somehow we, we sort of came over a little rise and you could look out and you could see the monuments. You could see the Capitol building and you could see the Washington Monument. You could see the Lincoln Memorial. And I, I just thought, wow, look at that. That's, that's impressive. And so it must have, David must have felt something like that. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Great, let's, let's go. And he gets there and said, look, look at this. Look at the buildings. Look at the people. Look at the temple. It's, it's wonderful. It's amazing to be here. Then David talks about the city itself. Jerusalem is built as a city compact together. Uh, some versions might say bound firmly together or solidly joined together. Whatever the price, precise wording, the idea highlights the togetherness of the city. So lots of different elements in the city, lots of different features of the city. The streets, the buildings, the temple, the people, the activity. But it's all together in one place. It, it makes a, a unified city. The, the people are bound together and, and the buildings and the streets all blend together in a compact city, so to speak. And so. The togetherness of the city is being emphasized. The, the various elements of the city make one unified city, which, which highlights that really the togetherness of the people with each other and with God. And so this is God's city. This is where His presence is. This is where He dwells. These are the people of God who have come together. And so they're bound together by their relationship with the Lord, and they're bound to the Lord by His covenant with them. And so it's a city that's compact together. 
that's bound together, that's joined together, even though these people may have come from different places, different places in the world, from here or there, different kinds of people, they all come together in a unified way to worship God in Jerusalem. As David thinks about the city of Jerusalem, he thinks especially, verse 9, about, or rather verse 5, about the thrones that were set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. And so he thinks about, of course, David's writing this, he thinks about himself as king, but in later years, as we read this, we think about the other great kings among God's people, like Hezekiah and Josiah. But, but we think of more than that. When we go to Washington, D.C., uh, we might think about George Washington and his presidency as we see the Washington Monument. Or we might go to the Lincoln Memorial and think about the presidency of, of Abraham Lincoln and all the trials and difficulties that he faced and how he navigated the country through those difficult times. Or we might go to the Jefferson Memorial and we think about all those who governed the country and what they did for the country. And it's moving, isn't it? If you've been there... You've been moved by those things. And so these great feelings these swell up within us. These feelings of patriotism swell up within us. But David isn't just thinking about the kings themselves. This is the house of David, which takes us back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Remember in 2 Samuel chapter 7, Daniel or David wants to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord says, no, David, I'm not going to allow you to build a house for me. Instead, I'm going to build a house for you. And what I'm going to do is establish you and your descendants as kings over my people. As a matter of fact, one of your descendants will sit on your throne forever. And so we find David's son Solomon being king, Solomon's son's Rehoboam being king. But ultimately... This prophecy is fulfilled in Christ. And so David is thinking about the covenant that God made with him. Thinking about the kings of the house of David. Why is it that descendants of David are on the throne? Because God has made a covenant with David. So David's God's covenant with, with Israel and the house of David comes to mind as well. And then David refers to coming together to the city of Jerusalem as an ordinance or a law for Jerusalem. Now, three times each year, Jewish men were to go to Jerusalem. They were put forth their very best effort to go to Jerusalem to celebrate or to observe the Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Booze. And so they were commanded. That was an ordinance for Israel. They were commanded to go to Jerusalem and observe those feasts. Feasts that represented and commemorated the salvation that God provided Israel. The Passover commemorates the salvation that God provided Israel coming out of Egypt. And God's presence with them through the wilderness and God's continual provision for them. That was the law. That was the ordinance. Go to Jerusalem and commemorate these things that, that uh, come from the relationship that God has with him. But it's interesting that in the, in the psalm, David's joy really surpasses mere obligation, doesn't it? And so this is an ordinance for Israel, but I was glad to go. <laughs> I was glad to go to the house of the... Yeah, it's the law, and it's, a, it's an obligation to go, but, but you know, more than that, 
I'm glad to go. I want to go. I rejoice at the prospect of going. And when I'm there, I'm overcome with joy. And so his attitude about going there for worship really goes beyond mere fulfillment of an obligation. And then the final thing that we're going to highlight at this point is the people go up to give thanks to the Lord. They would give thanks through song and prayer. They would give thanks through worship and sacrifice. They would think about all that God had done for them, and they would express their gratitude. The second stanza, which we're not going to talk about very much, really is an appeal uh, to God's people to pray for the well-being and prosperity of Jerusalem. Pray that the city of peace would prosper in peace. And so the psalm describes the joy of a man who will go up to Jerusalem to the house of the Lord to worship God. He's excited about the opportunity and the things that he's going to do when he gets there. You know, the idea of going to an assembly for worship, it it recurs throughout the Psalms. I want to look at a few of those very quickly. In the 22nd Psalm, we find uh, in the 22nd verse, you remember the 22nd Psalm is about uh, the... It's fulfilled in Christ, but begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And during the psalm, toward the end of the psalm, well, you, you heard my cry and you responded. And then in verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. The idea that you have rescued me, I'm going to get together and I'm going to assemble together with my brethren and we're going to worship and praise God. That, that's expressed throughout the psalms. Here's another illustration. The 35th Psalm and verse 18. The 35th Psalm, verse 18. Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue my soul from their ravages. And this is, again, a Psalm of David pleading to God for rescue from his enemies. And so, rescue my soul from their ravages, my only life from the lions. I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among a mighty throng. (laughs) You've been good to me. I'm going to get together with others. I'm going to meet in the great assembly, in the congregation, and we're going to express our gratitude together. There's an interesting thing about the 122nd Psalm. It's, it's, not, it's found not just in this, but, but many as well. It's the first person singular personal pronoun that begins the psalm. I. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. You know, when we read that, that's David expressing his attitude. I was glad. But you know, when we read that, we don't say, David was glad when they said to him, let's go to the house of the Lord. That's not how we read it. We read the word I. I was glad. And so, the use of the word I makes these words our own when we read them. Does that make sense? We don't read David. We say, I was glad. So, that, that, that becomes my sentiment. My thought. I was glad. You know, um, we might sing a song, for example, like, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, written by Isaac Watts. Well, we don't, we don't think when we sing that song, Isaac, when Isaac Watts surveys the wondrous cross. Now, those words become our words. Those thoughts become our thoughts. When I survey the wondrous cross. And so it is here. I was glad. Now, I read that. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. That becomes my words, doesn't it? And so, 
I've got to ask myself, now, now can I really read that genuinely and truthfully? Am I really glad when the time for worship approaches? When they say, come on, let's get up, it's time for church. Am I really excited to go? Can I really say that? I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. We, we should be. Now, we're going to spend the time we got left just making some points. First of all, why, why should we be glad and excited about worshiping together? Well, it's a command to assemble. It's God's command. In this psalm, David refers to the ordinance of Israel. We've talked about the requirement for Jewish men to go to Jerusalem to, to worship Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Booths. We are commanded to assemble as well. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the custom or habit of some is, but we're to exhort one another so much the more as you see the day drawing nigh. And we cite that passage a lot. We might get tired of hearing it cited. <laughs> I heard somebody say, I thought that was the 11th commandment growing up. I heard it so much, I thought that was the 11th commandment. And we may grow weary of it, <laughs> but still a commandment. You know, whether we grow weary of it or not, it's still there. And it's still a commandment that we not forsake the assembling of our, ourselves together. We need to make a commitment to keep the command. Make a commitment to keep the commands of God, including this one. Now, attending worship is not the greatest commandment in the law. <laughs> when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment of the law? He didn't say this. But it is a command, and we need to be committed to keeping the commands. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, John says, His commandments are not burdensome. It's not, it's not an onerous burden to assemble together regularly with God's people to worship Him. In fact, it needs to become a delight. We need to develop that attitude about assembling together for worship, and, and keeping God's commands in general. In the 119th Psalm, in verse 14, the psalmist says, I rejoiced in the way of your testimonies, as much as in all riches, I'll meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I'm glad to keep your law. I'm glad to keep your statutes. I'm glad to do what you ask me to do. I've got no problem with that. It's a wonderful opportunity to it's a wonderful opportunity to me to keep the commands of God. In Luke chapter 4, and verse 16, we find that Jesus made it His custom to go to the synagogue to worship on the, on the Sabbath day. I wonder, would we be as lax in keeping other commitments as we are in keeping this commitment sometimes? Would we, we, we make a commitment to our marriage? Are we as lax in that commitment as we are to keeping God's commands? Are we as lax in the commitment we made to our work in keeping God's commands? As we are, are we as lax in our parental obligations as we are in this as well? You know, to, be, to be honest, sometimes worship is not exactly exhilarating. <laughs> I've been attending worship since I was born. 65 years. And as we're on our way to the building, I can pretty much tell you what's going to go on already. I know what's going to happen. And it doesn't matter what congregation we're going to. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. 
On the first day of the week, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. There might be a little twist here and there in the procedure about how those things are carried out. But you know what? I don't attend for the novelty of it. That's not why I go. I don't even attend for the effect that it has on me necessarily. Why do we attend all the services? Why have we made that commitment? Because we made a commitment to keep the ordinance of God. And so when the first day of the week comes around, I've made a commitment to be there. I'm going to be there because I've made that commitment to be there. And so that's the idea here. This is an ordinance of God. Now, David's uh, attitude really was not mere obligation. He was glad to do it. But, but it was an ordinance for Israel. And so I'd like to call upon us to resolve, don't grow accustomed to being absent from the regular assemblies of the Lord, of the Lord's people. Make a commitment. Commit to it. Commit to it above things that are less important. You know, that's the way we tried to raise our children. You know, attending worship is more important than ball. Attending worship is more important than vacation. If you're on vacation, make plans to attend worship. Uh, attending worship, our kids were in band. Attending worship is more important than a band performance. And so set that commitment, set that priority, live it out, live up to it, and you'll be glad you did. Okay, second point. It's a city that's compact together to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord. So imagine the sight of God's people gathered together in Jerusalem. Imagine going up to the city of Jerusalem on the road and there are other people with you going to Jerusalem and there are people coming in on this road and coming in on that road and they're all converging on the city of Jerusalem. People from all parts of the world. Acts 2 says there are Parthians and people from Mesopotamia and Libya and Rome. Just think of all those people streaming into the city to, to, to worship. Imagine all these people with the same interest, talking together, talking to each other, talking to strangers, hearing their stories, finding out what their experience uh, is like in, in other places as far as their spiritual lives are concerned. It'd be a great opportunity to be built up, wouldn't it? When the occasion was over, the people would go back home and they'd be energized and they'd be edified just for the fact of being with all these people of like mind, hearing their stories, hearing their experience, listening to them, talking with them, that, that would be a beneficial and edifying experience. Well, isn't our situation similar? On the Lord's Day, we assemble together with people of like precious faith. We worship together. We build each other up through song. We teach and admonish one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, of course. We pray together. We, we hear teaching. But you know what? We also talk together and build each other up by thinking about what's going on in each other's lives. And so we talk about our lives. We talk about what's going well in our life. We talk about our struggles and our illnesses and our problems. We talk to each other about our plans and our hopes and our fears and our concerns. We talk to each other about all of those things. And this sharing, this communion, is important to our spiritual well-being. That's why it's important to be here in person. If we learned anything in COVID, it was that, wasn't it? It's important.
be here in person. Why? Because we spend time face to face. We talk to each other. We talk about each other's concerns. We talk about each other's worries. We talk to each other about your plans and your hopes and your struggles and all of those things. And we're able to, to talk to each other and relate to each other and help each other, encourage each other. And so it's just a wonderful experience to be here together with each other. The church here at Oak Mountain is kind of in a unique position because of the park that's here and so forth, because of where we're located on I-65, going from Florida north or from north to Florida. We get visitors just about every week, especially in the summertime. I think that's great. I love it. Where are you from? What's the church like where you are? Do we know some of the same people? And that's, that's, that's exciting to me. That's, that's a wonderful opportunity. And so why should we be excited to go to the house of the Lord? Oh, we're going to see each other. Our people are going to be there. We're going to spend time together. I'm going to hear about your life. I'm going to tell you about my life. And we're going to build each other up. And we're going to encourage each other. We're going to give strength to face the, the coming week. We talk about the local church being a family, the household of God. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 we talk about the church being a group of people in fellowship with each other. And we are in fellowship with each other. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. Because of our fellowship with Christ, we have fellowship with one another. We talk about the love that binds us together. Colossians 3 and verse 4. And we talk about the precious faith that we have in common. 2 Peter 1 and verse 1. We are like that city compact together, aren't we? Oh, we come from different places. We're men and women and old and young. And all of us have lots of differences, but we're compact together. We're built together. There's unity among us because we spend time together as one body. Well, then we build each other up and prepare each other for life. And then the third and last point we're going to make is that we assemble to worship and praise God. So David acknowledges that the people went to Jerusalem to give thanks in the name of the Lord. The name stands for the person to give thanks to the Lord for what He has done. And we assemble together to express our gratitude to God for His blessings and to praise Him for being the being that He is. I thought about that. That sounds kind of funny, but I don't know any other way to say it. We praise God for being the being that He is. It's inconceivable that we would enjoy God's blessings day after day after day without thanking Him for those blessings. We're offended, aren't we? When we do something for the benefit of others, and we get no thanks for it. Jesus was offended by that. Do you remember a story in which Jesus benefited someone, and they were ungrateful or didn't express their gratitude? You might be thinking of those ten lepers in Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 17 that Jesus encountered, and He healed all ten of them, but only one came back to thank Him for it. And He said, well, weren't there ten lepers? Where are the nine? You know, there's only one that's grateful. Where The Lord is offended when He does things to our benefit, and we, we don't thank Him. Now, God has blessed us in every way. He's blessed us physically. You know, look at the lilies of the field. They don't sow, they don't reap, don't gather into barns. <laughs> and yet your Father takes care of them. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. We have a tendency to focus on the negative aspects of our lives 
But when we really stop and think about the condition of our lives, we must be thankful. It's an egregious error not to be. Remember what David says, The Lord's been good to me. I'm going to praise Him in the great assembly. Now, now, now we can praise God at home. Uh, we can worship God at home. And, and we, we ought to do that. But we're called upon to gather together with God's people and express our gratitude. Thanksgiving is one portion of the greater idea, praise. We praise God for who and what He is. We praise Him for His wisdom and His might and His mercy and His holiness and all of those attributes. And we praise Him for His mighty works. He is our Creator. He rescues His people. He brought Israel through the Red Sea. He'll rescue us as well. He enabled them to conquer their enemies, to conquer Jericho and the, the rest of the land. And God is a God of deliverance and a God who empowers His people to overcome their enemies. He worked through David as he fought Goliath and Elijah as he fought with the prophets of Baal. He brought the people back from captivity. He enabled a virgin to conceive. He raised Jesus from the dead. He empowers through the cross. And one day He'll raise us up. You know, the Jews could worship God at home. They could remember God bringing them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. They, they could do that at home. They, they could celebrate the Feast of Pentecost at home. They, they, and yet God said, I want you to come together and assemble together these three times a year and commemorate these things. We could, we could worship God at home. We could worship Him at the lake. You know, we could worship Him on the golf course for that matter. You know, we could do that. And yet God says, I want you to assemble with my people to express your gratitude and to worship. And so I'm calling upon us to think about these things and make that commitment. I'm going to commit to being at worship with God's people. I'm not going to forsake that. I'm not going to abandon that. I'm going to assemble to worship with God's people. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to give priority to that above lesser important things. And we'll be glad we did. It'll help us to grow and develop spiritually. And the Lord will be glad we did. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this opportunity to come together with our brothers and sisters, with your children, to worship you. We pray, Father, that what we've done today in our worship has been pleasing to you, that we have offered our worship to you in, 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 in truth, in sincerity, uh, and uh, we pray that uh, you, you're pleased with it. Our Father, we pray that we'll make a commitment to fulfill all of your law to the very best of our ability. And Father, we pray that we'll make a commitment to assemble with your people on a regular basis, consistently, to worship you and to build each other up. Our Father, we have the opportunity to meet together with your people, the greatest people on the face of the earth. We derive strength from it and encouragement from it. And we pray, Father, that we'll value that, that experience, and that we'll take advantage of that at every opportunity we have. Our Father, we're so thankful that you love us, that you're concerned for us, and that you have taught us what is best for us in your word. Help us to recognize that, Father and help us to live by it.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're not a Christian today, you're here.